You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. It's wonderful, as always, to have your company. I'm your host, David Frizzell, and my guest in this episode is Georgia Murch. I first chatted with Georgia back in episode 78, all about organizational culture. This time round, we're chatting about her new book, Flawsome. In it, Georgia argues that despite the ever-increasing pressure all around us, we're often our own biggest critic, and it simply has to stop. She tells us all about it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Georgia Murch. Georgia Merch, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. David Frizzle, thank you very much for having me. <laughs> well, it's actually welcome back to you, Georgia, for our second run. I think way back in episode 78, we had an awesome conversation, but this one's going to be even better. This one is all about your latest book called Flawsome. I love the concept of Flawsome. I love what the book's about. Can you tell me how you stumbled across this really important and, and powerful word, flawsome? Yeah, it is such a ripper word. I think that the the name, well, the concept for me came through years of helping teams and organisations design feedback cultures. And you spend a lot of time helping people prepare for those conversations, not only in their head, but also in their heart. And one of the things that I kept finding through that process is that the thing that gets in the way of us really connecting and talking to others and collaborating with others is not just the feedback we give them, but it's actually the feedback that we give ourselves. And we get so stuck in these stories and assumptions that we make about ourselves or we make about what other people are thinking about us, that that tends to sometimes be our demise. And so hence my, oh, I think we really need to look into this. So I spent the last three or four years looking into the feedback that we give ourselves and realized, man, we're tough on ourselves. And hence the, I suppose, the search to go, how can we be less tough on who we are? What are the sort of pe- things people say to themselves that may, that fit within this concept that you've addressed in your book? What are the, the common stories that we're telling ourselves internally? So the question that I asked people, so I researched, I did hundreds of interviews for this book in workshops, but also outside. And I said, I asked people, what's the one thing that gets in the way of you giving yourself permission to be human? And most people used this word the whole time. There was this one concept that they kept landing on that was getting in the way of them being okay with who they are. And it's this whole concept of shooting all over themselves. I should be this. I should be that. I should have done better. I shouldn't have said that. And this whole dialogue that people have in their head where they've made decisions around how they're supposed to be or what they're not supposed to do based on assumptions of what they think other people put on them or what they think the world has told them to do. And so this whole, I should be this, has got nothing to do with actually who you are. It's grounded a lot of the time in comparison, right? Or I believe my mum or my dad or my partner or my boss thinks I should be this person. And let's get really particular, really specific. What are those things that people think they should? I love the term shoulding all over themselves. That's nice and 
it brings it's a, it's a beautiful image, of course. But what are some of those things specifically that you, you've heard more than once? So if I'm going to be gender bias, let me put them into a couple of gender camps. So mm. firstly, you hear a lot of women going, I should be more beautiful. I should be a better mother. I should be more caring. I should be a better wife. So, or I should, I should have been here in my career so far. And then if I look at, um, and not so much women or male, but, you know, female or male energies, men is I should have been more courageous. I should be higher in my career. I should have nailed that. I should have won that. And so they're some of the things that happen. And it's this whole concept. And, David, you've interviewed hundreds of people. So, you know, often this concept of I'm not good enough, you know, comes up and it's a big issue for everybody. But it's it's the difference between when you don't do something well enough and you can't see that you didn't do the thing well enough, you associate it with you not being good enough or you made a mistake and instead of just making a mistake, you become a mistake. And we can't seem to separate the feeling based on our identity. And so all those shoulds are formed out of stories we tell ourselves, but they're some of the main ones. I found this this line from your book really interesting. Whether we're aware or not, we un- end up projecting how we feel about ourselves onto others. So you've just told us about some of the typical shoulds, the the shooting all over ourselves that we do. You've even given you we've brave, I've got to say, and and gave us some nice gender stereotypes. You've broke them into gender categories, which I appreciate. And I'm really interested in answer that how then I project that onto other people. What do you mean by that? So I'm going to disassociate with the gender conversation right now in the sense that the whole concept of projection, which is essentially the question that you're asking about, which Carl Jung came up with in the first place, is that whenever I have a a frustration or a resentment or something that's holding me back from having a genuine connection with somebody else, it'll often be grounded in what they've done wrong and for example, let's keep it as simple. Let's think about relationships. And one of the, the things that can get in the way is that you might say, you know what? If I was more into him, he would call me more often or he should call me more often. But then if we unpack that, and I don't know that we have hours to be able to do that, but when you really look at the thing that's causing you frustration and you start taking responsibility for your role in that, which is actually where we get our power when we look at the role that we play is oh, maybe I need to be calling him more often. So, But what I've done is I've blamed him for having that issue rather than actually looking at, well, if I want something out of this, instead of projecting my stuff onto another person, I've got to look at the role that I'm playing. And until I do that, I can't actually move forward. The best I can do is blame and project. So Carl Jung, or Jung, of course, is the guy that provided the theory behind the Maya Briggs stuff, which is really super interesting. Now, Georgia, I, I'm interested in your take on this, this idea of focusing on our flaws and, and having this internal monologue that tells us we're not good enough and we should have been more successful in all of these various ways. And and that, of course, has a you know the obvious and the deep impacts on the relationships that we have. Is this a modern phenomenon? Is this something that we're, we're doing more and more to ourselves or are we just the latest generation to try and make sense of this? 
I can't answer that question with deep knowledge around whether we've been doing it for centuries, but what we do know is that we have so many more forms of being able to compare ourselves to others than we've ever had. So, you know, look at social media, you know, and I just watched The Social Dilemma last night, the new Netflix series around the impact that having so much information coming our way is causing such higher levels of stress and anxiety around ourselves. And we get data from from that. And we have been typically tough on ourselves for for a long period of time, but I would suggest from um, an evidence perspective that, yes, it is getting worse. But at the same time, I'm also such an optimist because our our search for, for ourselves and trying to find a sense of being okay with who we are is also on the increase. So these kind of conversations wouldn't have happened as much years ago. So I think there's a, a correlation in the rise of us not being okay with who we are because we're never going to be good enough. And I also think there's a rise in conversations of identity and search for self and belief systems and whether they're true and, and all of those things. So I think they're kind of rising at the same time, but it feels like the search for perfection is getting louder. All right. Now, Within the parameters of your book, and, and I read at some point, there's a almost a, a sort of subtitle of your book. It's a call to arms to drop the pursuit of perfection. And I love the concept, but I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate just for a minute and talk about the fact that, so as a society, as a country, Australia and, and countries like it are more overweight than ever. We're watching more TV than ever. Our sleep habits are becoming less and less healthy there's lots of things that we're doing wrong. There's lots of things that we're doing that are hurting ourselves. And I wonder, do you ever worry that with your approach to getting people to accept and embrace their flaws, and we'll talk about that in a minute, that you're kind of giving people permission, people who are looking for an excuse not to tackle the hard things in their, in their life, you're kind of giving them permission just to say, oh, well, that's me. I eat lots of chocolate before bedtime. I sleep in really late every morning and my whole day is a rush as a consequence. I don't have a plan with helping my kids and their behavior, so I just fly off the handle. Are you giving people permission to sort of give themselves a pass when it comes to those kind of things? Do you know what? I'd be a millionaire if I was. I definitely would. And I love this devil's advocate position because I think if if I was advocating be exactly who you are and be completely okay with that, we could have people running around with AK, you know, 40 machines mm. shooting each other. The whole concept of flawsome is not about going, you know, reading some positive affirmations every morning and actually feeling okay about ourselves. The journey of making peace with who you are starts with actually being a courageous enough to say courageous enough to stop denying who you are and the impact that it's having on those people around you. It also requires you to stop blaming people around you or circumstances around you for who you are. So it's actually a, it requires quite a lot of courage because it does take a lot of courage to say, I've got an eating problem and the eating problem being problem I need to understand where it comes from and I need to understand why I medicate on food when I'm in stressful situations. And so Flawsome is about saying, okay, I'm going to be courageous enough to acknowledge I'm doing this, but to go on the journey of understanding why. But the whole point of self-flagellation, which is I'm going to keep punishing myself for doing 
the wrong thing is getting us nowhere and it doesn't allow us to break out of that. So there's got to be a level of self-acceptance that I am doing this, but I'm going to be brave enough to own it and to understand where it's coming from in the first place. I love the line that you threw in there, uh, the journey of making peace with who you are. I, I really, really love that line. That's nice. Hey, and I'm going to ask you a question now, which I might be preempting because it could be in the description that you give us of that journey. But I want to talk about people that you come across who are okay with their flaws, people who have embraced the imperfections that make them up, whether it's the way they look or the way they behave or whatever it might be. Are they rare diamonds that you come across? And what do you notice about those people when you do? I don't know that they're rare as diamonds. I think there's more a rab. There are quite a few of them. For me, those people are those people are easy to be around. So the thing is when it comes to, you know, and I'm just going to roll off the conversation of perfection that we have is that we're not drawn to people who are perfect. We're drawn to people who have made peace with their imperfections. And when you're with somebody who doesn't apologize for who they are or for mistakes that they made or, you know, like I'm just, we could say you could edit that bit out that I just did then, or I could be halfway through a sentence and you might say, don't worry, Georgia, we won't, you know, we'll edit that. And I'll go, no, David, we won't edit that because this is exactly what being human is all about. We need to make mistakes in front of each other. We need to show that that we're not great at everything. And flawsome, the people that are like that, that I have in my world have very raw, honest conversations with themselves and other people all the time and don't hide things about themselves. And they have very few blind spots. Because if you think about the whole concept of blind spots is it's really hard to see them because <laughs> they're blind to you, right? So how did they reduce the gap on that? One, they went and said, I'm going to understand all the things about myself, the good and the bad, the light and the dark. And in order to understand them, in order to grow from that, I'm going to accept it and then I'm going to keep moving on from there. But it doesn't mean they're perfect. It's a bit like I've been, I, I love trees. I just, I love nature. I'm obsessed with nature and particularly at the moment in Melbourne in lockdown because that's one of the things that you really can celebrate. So you wake up every morning and the sun comes up. The sea is always there. The sand is always there. The wind always comes. And I was thinking about trees the other day. So stay with me. I'm not getting too trippy on you. So I was thinking about trees and I was thinking trees don't stand in the fields and get embarrassed for casting a shadow. They know that in order to stand tall, they're going to cast a shadow, but they probably don't also look around going, oh, that tree's shorter than me or that tree's taller than me. They're just busy being a tree. And part of the harmony of how trees live together is that they emit these oils, which actually create these immune systems in each other. And that's part of their ecosystem and how they live. And I think as humans, we become so ashamed or embarrassed of the shadows that we cast, and we're going to cast them for the rest of our lives because we all have light and dark, and we end up hiding from each other rather than being able to emit, you know, love and care and connection. And this is part of, I think, the problem with our social networks these days is because we're so busy hiding all of who we are that we don't know how to connect properly anymore. Just showing the good bits. Yeah, and just showing the good bits because we, cause we're kind of like on show, you know. And what is one of the most successful industries at the moment, aside from alcohol during COVID, it's 
what do we call it? injections? It's you know, it's improving ourselves. It's you know, changing our body oh, and how it looks Botox. through operations. Yeah, it's that is one of the highest growing industries in the world right now. Yeah, so we are not accepting who we are. We're trying to change this all the time because we've made up this dream or there these rules that what we have is not enough. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. You were talking before about people who have accepted their flaws and are okay with it. Uh, people are actually attracted to that. And you you put a label on it because we sort of know that intuitively. When someone says that, we feel it's true in our experience. But you put a lovely label on that. There's a phenomena called is the pratfall something. Well, I can't remember what the it is. The pratfall effect. The pratfall effect. Yeah, I read it in your book. I'd never read that before. Very interesting. Tell us about that. Super cool. Created in the 60s and it was around a study of initially psychiatrists around why people choose one expert over another. And so there's lots of studies, but this was the original one. And it was they did a study around those psychiatrists where a new client would come in and they'd have credibility around the space that they're in, but those that actually spilt their coffee or dropped their pen, people were much more likely to choose them because they seem more real. And that was actually the reason for them every time rather than even though like you, you want the expert in a particular space, whether it's a surgeon or a dentist or an educator, whatever it may be, but people aren't picking the perfection of education. They're picking the the human, someone that they can actually relate to. Mm. And so I love this. And I remember when I first heard this years ago, because I used to never do social media videos or even any of these podcasts, because what if I stuffed it up? What if I said something wrong? What if I forgot somebody's name? And how ironic that I end up writing a book about it. And then when I heard about the pratfall effect, I was like, oh my goodness, I've now got permission to just, you know, have a giggle and move on. And what I didn't realize, yeah, make a mistake. And what I didn't realize is that I have become much more accepting of me, but other people find me easier to be around. And then they're also sharing where they're at and what they're struggling with and what they're not good at. And so it creates kind of this domino effect of whatever normal is, but you being your normal. Because as you say, people are not drawn to perfection. They they don't relate to it. They they don't find it something that they they, they want to be attached to. It's just a really interesting point. All right, now let's talk about this journey of making peace with who you are. When you think about that, and I'm sure it's not a one day journey. I, I'm sure there is lots to it. So maybe we can talk on the conceptual level. What kind of direction are we heading in? What kind of direction do you take people when you're working with them? So in order to make peace with who you are, you actually have to understand who you are in the first place. And the starting point for that is really starting to look at what are the things that trigger you in life? So we're not going to focus on the things that, you know, create all warm love and happiness where we don't even think about it. We're just busy being. We're going to look at the stuff that causes us to have some kind of stress reaction, you know, a fight or a flight reaction. And what are the things that flips me into actually wanting to point the finger at you and blame you or this thing that's creating this internal anger in me or the thing that's making me upset or wanting me to retreat or walk away? Because I think the things that trigger us off hold the key. It's the start of the journey of understanding a little about the things that 
what's the word, the things that trigger us off. I was trying to think of another fancy name for it, but it isn't. It's actually that simple, the things that stress us. You don't need a fancy name. Great. What's next? I like that. Number one, understand who you are. Well, through your triggers. So that's number one. So understand your triggers. And there's there's lots of them. And I think when you start looking at the, the patterns in life of the things that react you react to, because typically people think, if I said to you now, David, I want you to think of three things that are really stressing you right now, three things that you could potentially, and we can think about this for the, those that are listening, three or four things that are like right now, it'd be so much better if they just weren't around. Typically, from my experience, most people have in that that question there, over 50% of the things that are stressed them are people. But when you break it down and you start looking at the things that trigger us, we often associate it with a person, but it's often not the person. It could be the content and we're reacting to the content. So how hard is it at the moment to have a discussion with people around the right COVID solution? You know, when we had these bushfires in in Australia last last year, for those people that had differing views on climate change, how hard was it to have a conversation around climate change? So we therefore associate different information with a relationship issue. But there's there's a whole lot of reasons. But I think it's important to get behind that and to also start understanding where they come from. So that's number one. Number two is understanding the truth. So this is whole concept of the truth, right? We're not talking about fake news here. So when we are triggered by something, it's really important for us to be prepared to go on this journey of not being right, but being curious and understanding. So if I've got a perspective about something, does that make it true? Okay. So it makes it true for me, but it doesn't necessarily make it the truth. And so If we want to grow our knowledge, not only of the world, but of ourselves, our perception of ourself is a really important part of that process. So if I understand the impact, if I can look at the impact that I think I have on people, but I would need to ask you what you think, how I come across. And I would also need to ask maybe 20 other work people that I work with. And maybe I'd need to ask my family and maybe I'd need to ask my friends and This whole concept of what is true is not what we think is true all the time. And that requires a huge amount of bravery because everybody, not everybody, but most people are going to have a different opinion about you and how you come across to others. But can you see the danger in that as well? Yeah, I was going to say, it's a very difficult process to start even because even if I know I'm walking around with anxieties and things about my life that, that I'm not happy with, it could be really difficult to tap into the things I believe and the things that are strong beliefs within me that guide a lot of my behavior, but are actually really challengeable from a truth point of view. That's a really difficult conversation to start with myself. It is. And that's the whole, that's when you're saying before, you know, is foursome just going, hey, this is me. It's no, it requires a huge amount of courage. I remember when I went to, I've got a couple of mates who are regular attendees at AA and NA. And whenever they come up to milestones, I love going to the meetings to celebrate, you know, the milestone that they've hit. And I've noticed that from going to those meetings that it tends to be that in the 12-step program, so for anybody who isn't aware of Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, there's this 12-step program to recovery. And the one that they get stuck on mostly is number four, which is being brave enough to do a moral inventory on yourself. So an inventory on the things that you've done and the impact that you've had on others is the one that trips people over most of the time 
because it does require bravery. Yeah, Mm -hmm. completely. And so that's, that's the thing that tends to trip us up. But just because somebody has a perspective also doesn't mean it's true either. And it's learning to be less attached to all those belief systems, but to hold it lightly and just to hold the space to go, oh, that's interesting. Okay, cool. But I don't need to believe what you're saying, but I can choose to find some of it useful and find some gold in there, or I can put it to the side because either it doesn't feel right for me or I disagree and I'll pick that up later if I need to. But most of the conflict that we have, not only in our heads but with each other, is pushing against opinions and ideas all the time. So when you asked me earlier on who are those people that have kind of got to that stage where they're, you know, they're okay with themselves, it's those people that don't need to enter that conflict anymore because they know who they are and somebody else's opinion of them is none of their business. All right, great. Understand the truth. Not don't you don't need to be right. Just curious. The truth about yourself. All right. And the first one, of course, was understanding who you are through your triggers. Where else do you take us on this journey to being at peace with who we are? Well, the number two is finding the truth. So, and that's being you know prepared to go and actually look into that. It's an active thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like it's really just a posture. It's a posture to being open. It's a posture to holding the space to stuff that you didn't see in the first place. And it's also permission to not have to believe. But if we have an open-hearted posture, it means that we don't need to get defensive. We don't need to blame. We don't need to stay in denial because, okay, that's interesting. Thank you. I'll hold that lightly and then I'll move forward. So triggers, truth, and the third piece of the whole flawsome journey, which is really how do we get to a space where we live in permanent transformation? You know how we hear these stories of people going, I just want to go away and I want to come back transformed into another human where I'm walking above the ground and so evolved. And, man, if we had, if we could do that in a weekend, there would be loaded humans out there. But this whole process of growing into our own skin, being exactly who we are not born to be, but being exactly who we are because life happens and things throw at us and, you know, we feel like we don't have permission to be ourselves anymore is just one little kind of core decision or idea or, or truth or trigger understanding at a time. It's actually much easier than we think it is rather than having it to be a big thing. And the thing is we get to, it gets to be our timing. It's all our timing. It's not anybody else's timing because if it was somebody else's timing, then we'd be comparing ourselves, right? Hey, Georgia, I'm I'm thinking that along there's probably somewhat of a spectrum of people who are, are struggling with their flaws, people for whom their flaws dominate their psychology and and their outlook on life. There there would be people for whom it it, it weighs a very heavy burden, and then there would be others for whom they they're aware of it and they know. They've got these things about themselves that they don't love, but generally life's pretty good and they get on with it, but it kind of nags at them. And I'm I'm guessing there are people all in between. Is that a fair kind of position to take? Yeah, it is. There's all different, like, you know, let's call it a flawsome index. You know, everyone's at different layers in terms of their own evolution. So, you know, you could say, like, I reckon there's kind of two two things that is really the journey. One is self-awareness because you can't grow unless your self-awareness grows. And the second is self-acceptance. And so if you look at those that are like have high levels of self-acceptance where they're like, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty awesome at this. In fact, I'm friggin' amazing. 
but they've got low self-awareness, you've actually got people who are a little bit arrogant and you love their confidence, but it's actually verging on cockiness now because they're not seeing how they're coming across. Or you might have somebody who actually, who knows so much about themselves, but they're so open to who they are, but they're almost apologetic about it. You know, if you've got, you have got those serial apologizers in your world where you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's, like, it's because their self-acceptance hasn't grown. And so, like, we're all in different spots, definitely. So, you know, of the evolution. But the point is that's okay. It's so cool. It's so fine. We're all just different. All right. Now, we've only got a few minutes left, but you've bought into this idea that you've, you've been talking about in this podcast, this whole, whole idea of, of understanding and embracing your flaws and your triggers, understanding what's true about yourself. And I know that I've got some work to do in this space. That's what some of the listeners are sitting there thinking right now. What's a couple of tidbits of advice, three or, or four or five bits of advice you could leave us all with in this episode that we can just run through our minds as we're working through our day and our life just to make sure we're staying attuned to this and, and keeping on top of it? Yeah, okay. Um, so firstly, I would say what, learn to celebrate the light and the dark of yourself. So, you know, if you're someone that's always been told that you're, boss, you're too bossy, on the other side of that, celebrate the fact that you might be assertive and you'll make fast decisions. You know, if somebody says to you, oh, you know, or you say to yourself, I just need to be more confident, you know, and you think that's the dark side or the negative side of you, what about the other side of you, which means that you're much more open-minded and will actually evaluate all ideas? Humble and, so, and relatable. Yeah, right. And so you can't have one without the other. So everything that's good about us also has something that's bad about us. Yeah. And everything that's bad has something that's good. That's a very good one because it comes back to that idea that our greatest strengths really are our greatest weaknesses. And that's that's that concept encapsulated. I like that. Celebrate the light and the dark. Good. I think the other thing that I would say is get comfortable making mistakes and being open about it, not only to others, but to yourselves. I think the greatest connection that we have to ourselves and other people is when we drop the pretense and we drop the pretending because then everybody else has permission to do the same. And some of the most successful organizations that I've worked for are those that that those that um, talk openly about their mistakes. They have failure Fridays. They have this week I learned. And most of the learnings are never through the good decisions. They're through the poor decisions that they made. And they give permission. And so what they then have is great risk cultures because they're prepared to take risks, but they're also going to bring up all the things that can go wrong and they own them and move forward. Good. I would suggest that it's kind of cool to make a decision around picking your pain. You mean by that? And by that, I mean, yeah, no, right. I love this. So one, my dad used to work for Herb Elliott, who, you know, in the 1950s was our Australian gold mile runner, last time we ever had a mile run. And Herb always used to say when he was training, he would talk about his training regimes, and he would say that one of the ways for him to constantly push himself was he ended up having making pain his friend. So every time he would start training, he could feel that bile raising, you know, rising to his throat. And I don't push myself that hard anymore, but I've heard that's what happens. Is that he would say when he had that feeling and his bones would start aching, he'd say, hello, mate, how are you, pain? Welcome. And I think anyone who wants to go through any level of growth, whether it's physical, emotional, career, whatever it may be, is at some stage you have to make a decision to pick 
the pain of staying the same, which often comes with not accepting feeling bad, feeling shame, or the pain of growth, which requires that courage to go, yeah, I am a bit passive-aggressive, or yeah, I am pretty defensive, or yeah, I was pretty rude back there. And so both of them are painful, but one of them you move forward and one of them you don't. So picking your pain, I think, is kind of a cool conversation to have with yourself. So, you know, how comfortable are you sitting in, I suppose, the emotional pain of understanding yourself before you reach for another drink or Netflix or, you know, whatever you need to do to medicate. Very good. The final one, which is actually my journey, is be obsessed with learning, not with being right. So back in the 1972, Dr. Aaron Beck came up with this concept called our cognitive distortions, which is how we distort information and make it, and we see information as it is, not as we are. And one of the biggest things that gets in the way of us not being able to listen to others or to see information correctly is our need to be right. It's the always righty distortion. And I come from a family of righties. We're just right. We're not defending our position. We're just telling you why we're correct. And so what, and if you've got that, it's really hard to learn. It's hard to learn about yourself. It's hard to learn the truth from others. And it creates this internal tension that never goes away, except a whole lot of other people end up going away. Mm. And so, yeah, our obsession with learning not being right, I think has been a bit of a game changer for me. That's very good. So number one there was celebrate the light and the dark of yourself. Number two is to be comfortable with making mistakes and be open about them. Number three is to pick your pain. And number four is to be obsessed with learning, not with being right. Georgia Merch, they're great little tips. I really appreciate you coming back on the Team Guru podcast. Oh, I'll come back any I'll even write another book just to come back on, David. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Georgia. And that was Georgia Merch. I love her energy. Lots of fun to chat with. And how about those four key tips? Number one, celebrate the light and the dark. Number two, be comfortable with mistakes and be open about them. Number three, pick your pain. And number four, be obsessed with learning, not about being right. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Georgia on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theories and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye for now.